Um, what you got? What you got? Yeah, man, I I agree with what you were just saying about Pablo. Like, it's just something about him just is not. <laughs> whoa, 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 know, whoa, whoa, whoa! We about to start. Oh, you don't see the count? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Sorry. Three, okay, two, my bad. One, no. uh, pa- yeah. Welcome to debate. Welcome. <laughs> we miss Pablo so much. Yeah, he's a right sweetheart. Now. We that were just Pablo. we were just saying all the kind things about him and how we uh, wish he were here and like he always says the smart things. I think that he probably decided not to be here based on what the number one topic is. His beloved 76ers. He never well they're actually playing well now, so maybe he wants to be. But either way, this is debatable. I'm Dominic Pablo. That's David Dennis Jr., world-renowned author and. The voice, but not face that you're about to hear now is from Alabaster. Tell us what to talk about. All right, guys, let's start with those aforementioned 76ers who are playing great ball. Do you think the 76ers are in the same tier as the Celtics and Bucks in the Eastern Conference? Tier talk. Tier talk. So the 76ers had a thrilling, I guess, game against the Celtics mm-hmm. where Joel Embiid hit a game tying, I guess, three-quarter court shot that did not count. After mm-hmm. uh, oh, you got video? I don't got to try to. Explain oh, we got we got some roll. Okay, what a high quality show we have here. Game winner, and here's Joel Embiid responding. We got OT. Nah, we don't. Nope. Yeah, so I mean, it's basketball. You can't make much of one game, but the problem when you if you're trying to argue that the 76ers are on the same tier with the Celtics is it's not just one game. There's a lot of games and a lot of series and a lot of seasons where the 76ers haven't been able to overtake the Celtics in any way. And I think, frankly, the difference, at least in my view, is just depth and flexibility. And mm-hmm. the, the Celtics have a lot of depth and a team that's incredibly flexible. And it seems that the 76ers have one really great player, another one that's great on occasion, and then some role guys that don't meet the – don't cut the mustard. I like that. I use that more. I mm, cut the mm, mustard. Mm, what do you yes, think, David? Turn to my uncle there all of a sudden. Talk about <laughs> cutting the mustard. I think, uh, I think, first of all, if you make a three-quarter court shot, you should have a one-second grace period. I think they should just give you an extra second. You I'm know, not, I'm if not you make that shot, that. count it. Just like, <laughs> just like if you if, – they shouldn't call charges on dunks. If you make the dunk, you should be able to knee the guy in the face. Like these are two rule changes. That that the second one had nothing to do with anything. Yeah, but, but the, if you're I mean, making the, the, the three quarter shot, the no charges on dunks, I thought was something we all accepted. I don't think I've ever seen. I, I feel like most of the time we give them leeway. If you bang on somebody, maybe there's right. been a couple times where you call it charge, but that's in the rule book. We need to petition Adam Silver for this other rule change because I'm fine with it. Because guys are hesitant to shoot the shot because they don't want to impact their uh, shooting percentage, but. If it doesn't the count old, the old, uh, then we're good. The old Ray Allen, who uh, <laughs> classically loved to hold the ball a split second too late so it wouldn't affect his uh, his three-point percentage. But, yeah, I think you should get an extra second. But, no, I think the, the 76ers, I guess, are in the same tier in the fact that, like, they're going to lose to one of these teams in the playoffs. So I guess that makes you a tier with them. I think, you know, I don't know how tiers work. It's like, a, <laughs> it's like time. It's relative or, you know, a construct. Yeah. But I think – that this, you know, there's a problem with the, like, they should have won the game yesterday, you know, I think, uh, or Saturday, uh, you know, the Celtics didn't play well. Tatum, I think had 18 points. It was not a great Celtics game and beat had 41. They were up 15 points on the second half. You got to win the game. And 
when the Celtics are just finding ways to beat you all the time, even dating back to like not having Kyrie and winning a few years ago in the playoffs, like you have to win that game. I want and to, they just seem not to be able to beat this team. Yeah, we talk about often how playoff basketball is actually significantly different with the the game, night off games, and the adjustments are more complex in the course of a game, in the course of a series. And you would think that the edge would go to the veteran coach. But we've seen our guy Doc Rivers, he doesn't really inspire confidence in in the in-game decision, despite the fact that he's a veteran coach and he's won a championship. It feels as though... I guess I have to give him the advantage over Joe Missoula, but I don't think I would have given him advantage over what he made Yudoka was doing last year, and he was a first-year head mm-hmm. coach. So I'm not so sure how confident I feel if they have the better players. They have probably the single most special player the 76ers have, but the roster top to bottom of the Celtics is better. And if you don't get a coaching advantage, I'm not sure where we see them uh, beating. And I guess we left the Bucks out of this conversation and this, like, the, the analysis of the, of the Bucks is Giannis, the end, period. What's up, Alabaster? Uh, one, we definitely don't need to say that, that Doc Rivers is a coaching advantage over Joe Mazzula. <laughs> Certainly not. Yeah, I'm not, get, we're not, yeah, uh, we're not, we're not getting, that's not a given. The second part is I, I actually do think it's interesting because the Sixers have now been hot since, you know, mid-December. It's been a while where they've been playing at sort of a similar caliber where you're like, whoa, this team could make the finals. And the Bucks part is interesting because Giannis is hurt again. He's got a wrist ligament injury. It's not torn. It's not up for a long time, but he's not going to be immediately available. Um, but when Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis are out there, they've been even better than the Celtics this year. They've been crazy when they actually have those three. So it's shaping up that I don't think anyone's a clear favorite of that group. Yeah, by I guess the team that you're putting in the group that I'm not sure it belongs in there yet is the 76ers because right. we've seen those other two teams like do it in the playoffs to some degree. The only way that they're going to be able to win these series is if Embiid and Harden are like two of the top three players, two of the three best players in the series. And they, you know, I don't know how that's going to happen. Like that's about James Harden. Like James Harden's got to be better than Jalen Brown, and he's got to be better than Middleton and or Drew Holiday. And there's got to be a, like a, a, an ascension of Harden. And when we're talking playoffs, we're talking matchups, and we're talking like when people key in on mismatches. And the Harden Maxi defensively is a disaster out there. And so, you know, that's going to be even worse. But if James Harden is not like I mean, it's all nice and good to talk about how he's playing now and distributing the ball and, you know, you know, pop up, you know, threes and all that stuff. But you got to be the second best player, you know, a two out of second or third best player in a series to beat these two teams. And I don't see that from James Harden. All right, Alabas, are we missing anything on this? Or can we move on to more? No, we fun can move times? on. Uh, I, yeah. I'm glad you guys a big old, gave a big old poop going. No, no, but that was, uh, look. I, that topic was set up for you guys to doubt the 76ers. So I'm proud of you. I didn't even have to interject that much. Okay. But you know, I will, yeah, I will say, I will say this. I will this. The game, the previous game, that Grizzlies game was like, they looked mm-hmm. like a championship type team. Like they were down. The Grizzlies fell apart. They had like down the stretch, they executed and they looked like that was probably one of the best wins they had the season. So if we, if you talk to me after the Memphis game, I probably would have been more uh, high on them. But, you know, the Celtics game sort of reminded us where they're lacking in, in the East. Speaking of high, Alabaster, 
Yeah, let's talk about oh. Kings Clippers, which on no, Friday no, night. No, no, it's high scoring. Not, never mind. I'm sorry. No, yeah, I was going to get oh. there. It was oh, a okay. high scoring oh. contest. It wasn't about drugs. I, I felt like uh, oh. that David oh. thought I was saying that. Alabaster. Well, I was, was just saying, Al- Alabaster was talking about how much he wanted some Skittles before the retake. I don't know what was going on with that. <laughs> I have to mute that. my mic. There's so many snacks here. Um, but. Uh, the Kings beat the Clippers 176-175. A lot of the narrative online was like, whoa, what a crazy game. I was watching it. It wasn't that great of a game. And scoring is at its highest since 1970. You think, in a macro sense, more offense is more entertaining when it comes to basketball. Yeah, I mean, I would say that anytime you, anytime you have those, like, absolutes you're going to be wrong because you just made the point that just because there was a bunch of points scored in that game doesn't mean it was a good game it's an all-star game score or at least an old all-star game score and those can be entertaining even though this year wasn't but it just comes down to like i would be happy to watch a 85 92 game if it felt competitive and was fun it's about the product on the floor and uh, just trying to well i guess they aren't they aren't fixing the rules in order to boost scoring but i do think that there's something to be said for the value of scarcity and if anyone needs to learn that rule it is the 82 game nba season whether it's about points scored or games played there is something to be said for working for something and it being more valuable and appreciating it more the more you see it the less valuable it gets yeah, that was one thing I, I, that the All-Star game did remind us when, when Tatum and Brown were having their little 90-second duel or whatever, that every, like, one-on-one stop in the NBA is a minor miracle. Like, there's there's really no way to stop another player one-on-one when they want to score. And that that's just the level of skill. But also, I think, to your point, an 82-game season, yeah, it's hard to play defense night in and night out. It's hard to get your rotations together. I mean, the Clippers are no slouch defensively. Kawhi Leonard's on that team. Paul George is on that team. Like, theoretically, they should have been a better team than this, but they're playing the high-scoring Kings. They don't feel like doing all that. They're just scoring points, and that's just what's going to happen on a night-in basis. I think when the playoffs come, we're going to see some of those those point totals go down. We're going to see better defense, and we're going to see exactly, you know, what competitive basketball looks like. But we're just not going to get that right now. I mean, yeah, I, mean I think this is February. Given my defensive background, I feel like I have to step in and point out the fact that everyone says all they want is offense and every league changes their rules and learns how to uh, how to more efficiently play offense. And they believe that it's going to make the game better and better. And I think to be completely honest, yes, loosening up the, the rules to allow for more scoring in basketball does it spreading the floor three point line. All these things have allowed for the game to be more fun. But like as a football player, like I recognize that. Don't nobody really want defense. They want to make it really hard to play defense, and they want to see you succeed every now and then, but no one wants to see a season that's every game's 10 to 17. The same thing applies on the other side. Like, you don't want to see 176, 175. There's a middle ground. There's a a sweet spot in there where it's not last team that gets the ball or last person to shoot wins. It's a really competitive game, and when it comes down to the end, that's really what matters is that it's close. And that is, you believe that either side has a chance at the end of the game. If you're putting up 76, 75 every, every single night, and, or 176, 175 every single night, then it doesn't feel the same. So, yeah, it's – and I'm not even going to start talking about baseball because the uh, way the offense has changed that game has made it – I'm not going to say unwatchable because we're a sports network and we love all sports, including – Oh, baseball is fantastic. I love watching baseball. <laughs> and hockey, too. There's nothing wrong with it. What's up, Alabaster? No. Tell, tell us what we missed. No, this is great. 
You're oh, throwing it back to oh, back. Here's baseball analogy. Oh, here we go. You're throwing a perfect game. <laughs> maybe maybe Alabaster's defense needs to improve. This is yeah, a little too no, easy I'm here, surprised. buddy. Surprise! I always come expect on. him to come um, in and and maybe just, it's because Pablo's not a, here. A, a, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, he's just crushing it. Don't even need Pablo. All right, next one. Um, what did you make of Byron Jones's comments about the toll of playing in the NFL? I need I need you, Pablo. I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> so Byron Jones, a cornerback, I think he was a first round pick for the Cowboys. He played in Miami. He was a pro bowl level player. Really good. Now, apparently he cannot run or jump. Uh, he sent out a warning to all players to not take the drugs that they prescribe you. And he also essentially said that no matter how much money he's made, he would not have traded that for like, the way his body feels now. It's a complicated story, I think, because I also played the same position and there are vast limitations on what I can do physically now based on what I could have done in the past. But the money sure is nice. I wouldn't trade it, but I don't feel like Byron <laughs> Jones. So, you know, like it's, I don't want to like belittle it or make a joke out of it because I don't know how he actually feels. And well, I do know how he feels. he's telling us he feels like it wasn't enough. And that is, I think it's a fair thing to say and a fair thing to warn young players as we get close to the combine and the draft guys who are coming in the league. I think what he said about the painkillers and the drugs is an important thing. I also was fortunate enough to not need very many of those things. And once I tore up my hip and tore up my knee enough times, I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. And had I kept going, maybe I'll feel a lot worse. And I know I'll feel worse years from now. But right now, I still feel comfortable with the trade-off. But I understand what Byron Jones is saying. And I think it's something, it's part of the story. Like, it's one of the outcomes. I'm not sure where it falls on the, like, bell curve of professional football players' post-career lives and feelings, but it's on there. And all players and fans, frankly, should be aware of it. Yeah, man, this is a tough story because, like, you, you got to know that, like, Byron Jones is just, like, the median story. Like, there are a lot of players who feel a lot better than him, and there are definitely going to be players who feel a whole lot worse who are going to be in a whole lot worse shape, just of what we've seen statistically and what we've seen just anecdotally from people when they get out of the league. And about, you know, four paragraphs down to the story was like well he's not retired yeah. <laughs> you know and so it's like these players uh, you know are doing this and you can say well they know the risk and they understand yeah but like there's like also an element of like financial need here like you've got a lot of players who are the breadwinners for like like generational breadwinners right for so, i mean I, i'm sorry i'm sorry to butt in but I, I do think the know your risk thing is something that i think is important that we like flesh out because it's not right we're you're at no point are you uh, like a fully formed adult making mm. this decision with all the information. Like right. I can tell you how it happened for me and how it happens for most other young athletes. It's like you show a talent when you're like 10 and then people are like keep playing, keep doing this and they keep guiding you. And then you're 16 and they're like, well, you want to go to college? You want to go to a good college? Keep doing this. And then you're like, hey, you want to make millions of dollars? Keep doing this. And then you keep doing it and you keep doing it. There's no like stop point where they put a contract in front of you and you're like, all right, these are the risks. These are the rewards. Mm -hmm. So like when we say that, it's like a bit disingenuous and you play it all the way through and then you get to the point and then you get to where Byron Jones is and you look back and like, damn, Maybe I should should have done something differently. Like, at what point are you going to do that? When you're 10 and all the adults around you are like, man, you are so good. And they treat you better than the rest of the kids. That's when you're going to be like, you know what? When I'm 35, this sure is going to hurt. 
let me rethink it. Or you're supposed to do it when you're 16, when all of a sudden, like, girls are interested in you and colleges <laughs> right. are coming around and things are happening. You're like, oh, you know what? This is the time when I should stop and consider how many drugs they're going to give me in the NFL. And now let's stop it now. So, like, it feels like a disingenuous way to just, like, dismiss guys who are having issues. It's like, oh, you knew the risk, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean well, that I they're not that they're not human. Well, that, I mean, that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, like the, the generational benefit of like right. chances are, you, you know, if you're an NFL player, yeah. nine times out of 10, you're going to make more money than anybody else in your family will ever see for their entire, for like forever, you know? And so there's that part of it too. Like you're 10 and you are living how you're living. You may be yeah. under the poverty line. You may be struggling. You may be in, in whatever situation. And like there is a clear path that in 10 years, in just a matter of 10 years, you will yeah. make more enough money to change everybody in your family. So like, yes, fill me up with all of the things that I need to do to make this happen. I have a mom to take care of. I got siblings to take care of. I will have kids to take care of and all that stuff. And like, when, like to your point, when are you gonna stop? And like, it's hard to bemoan these players for not being forward thinking, like you said, at the age of 18, when their brains are fully functioned, when we live on a planet that is boiling as we speak <laughs> and nobody yeah. is like thinking like what's going to happen in 20 years. We're just That's like fair. careening down a world of like, you know, it's going to be 200 degrees in Chicago, like in the, in the summer of like 2035 or something crazy. And like, everything's going to be terrible and nobody's doing anything to stop it. But we want yeah. these football players to have the forward thinking of like 50 years from now that they won't be able to walk or whatever, you know, in spite of the fact that the money they're going to make is going to be enough to like change the trajectory of their entire family. So I, I agree. Like, I, I think we, we kind of put this on the players a little bit too much and, and it's a systemic thing that needs to change. But I don't know what that's going to look like. I have no clue what that looks like. Oh my God, you guys are crushing it. Let's keep going. Um, so there was a big article about Russell Wilson in The Athletic and we actually, I feel like we knew a lot about his purported character, but we got a lot of specific details about how he wanted to handle his business in Seattle and then in Denver. And my question for you all is, do you pin more blame on Russell Wilson for his high-maintenance behavior or the Broncos for enabling it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you have to pin blame on anybody. They lost and he played poorly. That was the only problem. Like, we would have been right reading a story about how Russell Wilson integrated his team into this uh, into this organization and turned them into a championship contender and how this is the model that everyone else should follow if they had succeeded. The only question I think that matters is, did they fail because of this? Like, I don't think it, it – it's just the way we frame this story. If the reason why they did not succeed is because the quarterback coach that he brought in uh, was a bad coach or the office that he decided that he wanted had like asbestos in it and it cost him his his uh, throwing ability, then that's a problem. I think this is one of those things where hindsight, we're looking for something to, to blame or so looking for a reason to pin the blame on somebody. And I don't think maybe it's not good for him, but I don't think that's the reason why they, they were bad. If they were good this year, Nathaniel Hackett still would have the job. And I also don't think that the issues with Nathaniel Hackett in-game management was because Russell Wilson had too many of his staff in the building. Like, this to me feels like we're, we're reaching, honestly. I personally think we are burying the lead here because the delays of game happening because Russell Wilson was possibly giving motivational speeches in the huddle is something that I would have made up about Russell Wilson before <laughs> this season. It is my favorite 
Russell, like as somebody who who like thinks some of the stuff we say about him is a little overblown yeah. and he gets sort of a bad rap and just loves the corniness of Russell Wilson. This is my favorite story of all time about Russell Wilson that he got possibly got the, you know, the plays called sent to him with 20 to 25 seconds left on the play clock. And he got in the huddle and he was like calling a play and then he'd be like, guys, hang in. Let's get her done. We can do this together. I believe in you break and then they would not have time to run the play this is an incredible story and i love it with all of my heart i don't care about anything else that happened i mean i care a little bit because like nathaniel hackett is a a, a nepo baby all nepo babies but i just love that russell wilson was doing this and everything about him makes my heart smile i have to appreciate how you uh like gracefully undercutted my argument by pointing out that russell wilson did also hurt this team because of his uh his antics and i can't find a way to defend against that because if there's a clock there's no time for you to be giving pep talks particularly when your pep talks are not uh all that effective and it's like people don't want to hear it. the thing about russell it is so hard is it just feels like it's not real. Like mm-hmm. it feels like he's like sometimes it feels like um like he's doing some sort of performance art where he's like, I'm gonna get you guys and at some point he's gonna it's like Nathan Fielder is the guy. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, you remember hits from the street? Yes, I love <laughs> yeah, this. No one, no one remembers that. That's just me and you. Uh, no one else is gonna know what I'm talking move about. Move five, like, move, milking, yeah. milking, milking, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel like at some point this is I he's wish gonna Bob like were here to not know anything about what we were talking about. <laughs> that it just the stories, and then him talking about high knees all the way to London, like all <laughs> when you just one of those stories seems like something you would write if you had never been on a football team, like you wrote a movie about football players, you would write this in and we would all as players be like, he ain't never been it's on a like, no football team, but he doing them all giving pre kicks. It's like if somebody, talks. if some, if like Russell Wilson is like if somebody writing the script for Ted Lasso, but it was on Tubi. Like that's exactly what <laughs> Russell Wilson is. Cause Ted this Lasso, is Tubi. <laughs> he's like, Tubi, Ted Lasso. Tubi presents Ted Lasso because like this dude was like, uh, all right, we're going to run 42 slant bunny years on three. Jerry, Judy, you believe in yourself, dude. You can do anything. <laughs> flag <laughs> no on the No matter play. what they say, you can do everything. And then the, then the, and the crowd is counting down uh, the play clock. And then you can't get the playoff because you were doing these inspirational. Now, to be fair, there was some dispute in the article about if this was actually, yeah. I'm going to pretend it is because I love yeah, it so we're much. Gonna, we're going to say it's not. All right, Alabaster. So I want to go through a few of these details. No, I, well, my, my, my argument is better without the details. So, so my favorite part of detail is that Russell Wilson had his second floor office, but he had a, a funny ears quotes, open door policy in case anyone wants to talk to him in his office, which is just fabulous. Thank you for that, Russell. Um, but here's the, here's the thing about this. We know he wanted to get Pete Carroll and Seattle's GM fired. Um, they were better without him. He's, tried to assert his power in Denver. And in a way, he's now got what he wants. He wanted Sean Payton, they got Sean Payton, but he's going to lose a lot of the institutional power that he had last year before we realized that he is now a middling, mediocre quarterback. And I want to push this forward a tiny bit. Is Russell Wilson, like, is, is this sort of his last stand? Does he need to succeed at a high level with Sean Payton or he'll just sort of, sort of fade into low-level starter backup 
world now, even though he's got all this money owed to him? Like, what's going to happen from here? We know that this guy is not exactly like a consummate team player. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think... Go ahead. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I think, yeah, this is going to be the sort of the definitive Russell Wilson season. I mean, I, I'm happy pinning a whole lot of last season on Nathaniel Hackett because he was a, a terrible coach. Uh, did not seem, I, I seemed to just be Aaron Rodgers' buddy. Like, I don't know what his actual offensive credentials really were. Uh, and there were a couple games in there Russell Wilson actually looked like himself, especially towards the end of that season. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're, if there's a coach that's going to maximize an undersized player and, you know, unlock an offense, it's going to be Sean Payton. So if Russell Wilson is bad this season, then yeah, this is going to be sort of that, that stain. But I think it's, it, I think there's a world where we easily just write off last season the fact that Nathaniel yeah. Hackett had no business being a head coach. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the blame is going to kind of roll downhill and Nathaniel Hackett's track record um, places him directly downhill from Russell Wilson. That's not true of Sean Payton. So we're going to roll whatever shortcomings this team has this season are going to roll right onto um, right onto Russell's lap. Um, and, yeah, we'll see what happens there because he's still going to have a bunch of money owed to him. Maybe they'll try to figure out something. But he'll get another chat somewhere. Someone else will convince themselves, which is – I mean, he's done enough in this league, I think, that is there's going to have – he's going to have to fail at one more location. I mean, for goodness sake, Carson Wentz has been – on a bunch of teams that have started him week one. So I think Russell is owed at least one more, but I actually have faith that I think that him and Sean Payton will figure it out this year. What's up, Allie? Okay. I got, I, you hate this, but I have to ask. Okay. Oh, a media, a mediocre player on the Ravens, a mediocre overplayed paid player on the Ravens while you're there has his own office and an open door policy and is giving you pep talks <laughs> in the huddle. Like that's not you, overblown. You? You'd be pissed as hell, right? Are you trying to argue that I did not deserve my own office at the Ravens? Like, I personally was a mediocre, overpaid player, and I would have loved to have my own office. No, actually, I don't really want my own office. It's not really a thing to benefit you. I don't really get the point. Like, why do you want your own office? You want to be in a locker room. It's fun in there. You can play cornhole. You can have some laughs. It's good time. But, you know, but, but this is the definitive sort of Russell Wilson experience because, like, half the players didn't mind. You know, yeah. like when you like, I, mean, I, I, I get your point, Alabaster. Your point is about like the team chemistry and how team how players will react to it. And I think, yeah, it's a tough thing to deal with if everyone's coming off the field, going to the locker room and he's going upstairs to his office. It's a weird dynamic that we haven't dealt with. But I think honestly, what it all comes down to is what it always comes down to is are you balling? Because like we've put up with guys who've done much worse things than have an office if they balling. And, like, we'll make fun of you. That's the thing that we would always do is, like, we make fun of everybody about everything. So, like, we would roast him for having his own office. But if he was cooking, it would be no problem. And, like I mentioned, like, there's, I've been on plenty of teams with guys who have done worse, much worse things than have their quarterback coach show up. And we just make fun of them and move on as long as they keep playing well. If they don't play well, then they get cut. And that's when people stop liking them. It's really the equation is that simple. And yeah, you know what? I'm, I I generally don't trash players for getting what they want. You know, like they ask, like players are going to ask for ridiculous things because, like, why not? And they gave it to him. That's the problem. They gave yeah. him an office. Like he, like of course, Russell Wilson asked for an office. Which, as an aside, I bet it smelled crazy in there. But uh, I'm sure, you know, I know he asked for an office, and but like they didn't have to give it to him. Nathaniel Hackett got to where he is in his position because he was friends with with 
you know, top tier quarterbacks, right? Yeah. With a top tier quarterback. And he wanted, and that was the blueprint for success for him. And so he said, in order to keep, you know, my job and keep doing well, I'm going to be friends with this other high paid quarterback and give him whatever he wants. But that's not how it works. And so the players can ask for what they want and they can try to get it. You did not have to give it to them. And it's always going to be on the ownership of the people in charge who gave the players the ridiculous things that they asked for. All right, guys, we're going to move to who done it. A couple of quotes here. First one I got for you. 20 years from now, you will never see someone play sick or get out on the floor with a sore ankle. And your choices are A, Michael Jordan, B, Charles Barkley, C, Stephen A. Smith, or D, Pat Riley. <sighs> That's tough. Someone is saying that 20 years from now that players won't deal with that stuff. I mean, it seems like it's in line with Charles Barkley being complaining about the players. But you put Stephen A in there. I don't know. What you thinking? You got a feeling? This feels like a Barkley thing. It feels like Barkley's making fun of how soft these players are, and which yeah. is his thing. I think, that's, I think it's an alabaster trap, but I, I agree with you. Well, let's walk into this trap together. We're going to say Charles Barkley. Oh, Jordan. MJ, and Jordan. it was written 20 years ago. Oh, gosh. Oh, okay. All right. Michael Jordan well, is a soothsayer. Yeah, but players do go out there with sore ankles and play sick, sort of, a little bit. You know, like it's a little – I mean, I see, what he's, I see what he's saying, but also Michael Jordan is the person who kind of decides that players – yeah, I kind of want to know the, the context. I want to know the context of what he, how he was saying it when he was saying it, which I imagine Alabaster doesn't have. If he was saying it like it'll be better that way or saying it like players are going to be softer or he just saw the idea that it really didn't make sense for players to be out here on sore ankles when the ultimate goal is at the end of the season. Um, yeah, I don't know. Alab I, I assume that Michael Jordan was on the right side of this and he wasn't like uh, preemptively lamenting the soft future player. Uh, I don't have an answer, but knowing MJ, I would have assumed the exact opposite. Yeah, you're right. Was, you're right. You know, wishful, wishful thinking, trying to be nice to him. I mean, all right. I mean, if you read the Jordan rules, you will see how how Jordan terrorized Scottie Pippen for like a year for missing uh, a game seven with his migraine. So uh, <laughs> you know, like we we know Mike. where Jordan is on the competitive maniac. spectrum here. So the greatest maniac of all time. No. All right, guys, I, we got one more quote. All right, give it to me. All right. This one's a doozy. Um, I've been doing this for 45 years, and I'm more excited about it about doing it now than I was even when I was 40 because I know it's not going to go on forever. I want to coach for five or six more years. I still exercise like a demon. I still get after it. And your choices are Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, Greg Popovich, or Rick Pitino. Mm, okay. It's not Belichick. He would never say that many words. Um, mm -hmm. Pop, I feel like also, it seems like I'm going Saban or Patino. What do you think? That, that the, the, the exercise like a demon just screams Patino to me or, right. or, um, yeah, or Skip Bayless, but he's not on here. <laughs> Let's go Patino then. <laughs> I'm with you. D. Patino. Yes, we yep, nailed it. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. So who cares? Yeah. You Coach five like or six more years. <laughs> exercise like a demon. What does how it look old like? Is, how old is it? Yeah, I, that's a good a good question because don't demons get exercised? 
Like I don't think that yeah, you're, yeah. you're doing you're doing oh, the exercise. That's a bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. how old is Rick Pitino? I just imagine know? him on the on the Peloton, just <laughs> just like getting at it, just. <laughs> Alabaster. So Rick Pitino is 70. And the reason why this quote is fascinating to me is we've seen an exodus of good, of good coaches in college basketball, whether it be Roy Williams, Jay Wright, Mike Krzyzewski, on and on down the list. Uh, Rick Pitino is the best coach in the country, and he's at Iona. And they're in a one-bid conference, which makes the stakes really high. And he's sort of become a pariah from Power 5 basketball. He's being rumored to Georgetown. He could be rumored to other big schools. And this is interesting because if he has five or six more years in the tank, is one of these conferences or one of these teams going to convince themselves Patino is a uh, shortcut to a national championship? Has he been exiled long enough, I guess, is the question. Is, uh, will there be any backlash if he lands at a Power 5 school? I My guess is no, so I don't know what they're waiting on. I assume people have already called him. And uh, poor Patrick Ewan in uh, Georgetown. I think they the fans here would take just about anybody move on from that uh situation yeah i think i think it's a matter of time i i mean i it's it takes a lot to be exiled indefinitely from especially when you are winning and you are a good coach apparently i mean tino's still a good coach like he's still do we know i I guess the the big question for me for college basketball and college football frankly is it feels like the landscape is still in such flux we don't know what makes a good coach anymore because i thought at one point it was about recruiting which was kind of about uh facilitating the bag man and now that we're shifting to something different like does the the yeah is it where's the value for a coach is it in x's and o's now in which case maybe rick patino is brings some value or is it in his now above the table bag manning like i I guess i don't know how valuable rick patino is just because he's winning at iona i'm not sure that that would translate to a power five school well he's in the gym so (laughs) oh my bad excuse me he's exercising like a demon never mind demons exercise like a demon yeah, he's exercising like a demon and getting it in. Like that's who needs X's and O's. He just needs uh, you know, some some good burpees, I guess. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> demon time. Isn't that the yeah. kids say something like that? I don't that's know. A, that's a, a different thing. Alan. <laughs> I don't want to end this topic prematurely, but I do think it's worth noting that he is an X's nose uh genius. That is like his thing. The way he presses, the way he has his teams play has been mm-hmm. applicable at Every level below the NBA. Didn't quite work with the Celtics, but it's worked every yeah, college yeah. basketball. Cool. Well, sign him up for your school then. We don't need him here in Maryland. We are on a roll. Knocked off Purdue. Lost to Nebraska. Then knocked off Northwestern. Terps don't need no new coach. You can have him in Davidson. No, we're good. Oh, we're never good. mind. I forgot. We said, we said Power 5 schools. My bad. Sorry. Leave you out. Oh, uh, da- what you know, Davidson's a Power 5 uh, school in our hearts. It's power five in our hearts. So. <laughs> power is in the eye of the beholder, really, when you think about it. You know? It's really not the case at all. It's not how power I, that's works. Ex- that's, that's ex- exactly. I'm going to my um, I'm going to my second floor office uh, to, to review the tape of this. Thank you, Alabaster, for hooking me up with the office and, and decking out in the, in the house. I know you told me not to tell Pablo and, uh, and Dominique about it, but you know. <laughs>